Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. This morning we're going to complete the 15th chapter and move into the 16th chapter. Something that I have mentioned to you before and we have an opportunity to see firsthand is that the chapter and verse divisions in your Bible are not inspired. They are helpful, they are useful, but there are occasions like this one in which our passage crosses over a boundary line of a chapter. So we will be looking at John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word for us. That by the power of your spirit, you would illuminate our minds. Open our ears. That we might know your word. That we might be affected by it. That in your word we would see the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in your word we would see our great hope. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. How do you react 
when people are hostile to you? What do you do when people reject what you think is important? For some of us, we try to give as good as we get. We respond in anger and in spite and hostility. For others of us, we flee the scene. We don't want to be involved in that kind of thing. We don't need that negativity, we say to ourselves. It's not something that we expect. It's something that we wish to be free from all of the time. Well, this morning, we hear a warning from Jesus. He warns us that following him will not be easy. It will not be popular. Following Jesus has a cost. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. That means that it's easier to face hard times when we know they're coming. When we know there's a reason for the hostility that we experience. Jesus is forewarning us here. He is telling us that he has equipped us for a life of following him. In our text this morning, as we see the hatred of the world, I want us to specifically see three things about opposition. The first thing that we see is a description of the world's opposition. The second thing that we see are the results of opposition. And the third thing is our response to opposition. The world's opposition, the results of opposition, and the response to opposition. We begin then by looking at Jesus explaining to us the opposition of the world to himself, his disciples, and frankly all Christians. The first thing that Jesus wants us to see is that we are not to be surprised by this opposition. Jesus has prepared the disciples for this hour. We know it's a dark hour. The cross is less than 24 hours away at this point. But Jesus also knows that there will be hard times after he is gone. And so he has prepared his disciples. Up until this point, he's given them an encouraging word and promises. He told them that he is the source of life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's given them the promise of the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will come to them. He's told them to rest in him because he is the true vine. And they will not only bear fruit, they will bear much fruit that abides by remaining in him. And now he wants them to be ready for the opposition to come. Now we said it before, but it bears repeating again here that while Jesus is thinking particularly of his disciples that he is speaking to at this moment, Jesus' words are also directed at you and me. We know this because over and over again, John has chosen the words of Jesus 
to record in his gospel, not randomly, but under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words are preserved so that we would read them, so that we would understand them, and so that we would be blessed by them. And so, as we read this text, remember this is Jesus' word, not just to Peter and John and Andrew, but to you as well. (coughs) Jesus starts... With hard news. Look with me at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Jesus says there is opposition. There is fierce opposition. It's so fierce that Jesus describes it as hatred. Now that's not a pretty word, is it? It's not a word that we like to use in genteel society. I still remember being a young boy, and if there was a food I didn't like or a situation that I was not fond of, I would say, oh, I hate that. And my mother, each and every time, would look at me, and she would say, we don't use that word in our house. You can say, I extremely dislike that, but do not say, I hate that. And there is something visceral about hate. As a word, isn't it? It conjures up feelings of revulsion, of antagonism, of pain and harm. So Jesus is being intentional here. He's giving his disciples the truth. There's no sugarcoating here. As a matter of fact, in verses 18 through 20, just the beginning of our passage, Jesus uses the word hate three times and the word persecute twice. Why does he do this? Well, after all, I think this is the last thing that we would expect. When we hear the the message of Jesus, we don't think about being hated. Because Jesus' message is one of love and redemption, of reconciliation, of the end of hatred and strife, of bringing together the sinner and God. Jesus' message is the solution. Not a problem. But Jesus knows that his message will not be received by everyone. And so he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before. Now, this word if is important here. Jesus is not saying if, and in the very unlikely event that this is true, you need to understand this. We might more fully translate this, if and when the world hates you. Jesus is not setting up an unlikely event. He's not suggesting that there's a small chance that the world will hate Christians. There is a certainty here behind his words. The idea is that when you see the world hate you, you need to know that it hated Jesus first. That when that occasion comes, this should come to your mind. And this should have, after all, reminded the disciples of all of the opposition that Jesus had experienced. You remember that they attempted to stone him. They attempted to throw him off a cliff. They attempted to have him arrested. They did everything they could to attack Jesus. And these words themselves would have really struck home. In the next few hours. Jesus says. If the world 
hate you. And this word world is also important. It's a word we've seen before in John's gospel. Remember how John uses this word. He means the controlling mentality of unbelieving mankind. He doesn't mean, you know, if your lawn hates you. Or if the ocean hates you. Or trees hate you because they leave leaves all over your yard. No. He's saying if the world, if the system of the world, if the mass of people who are apart from Jesus hate you, don't be surprised. The world here are the people who will not submit to God. They reject God and his rule. They are in rebellion against God. And if there is one thing that unites people all across the world, it's rebellion against God and his people. You might remember the scene that will come up in just a few chapters here in the Gospel of John. Where Jesus will be tried. He will go before the Jewish authorities. And then he will go before Pilate. And I don't think I'm giving you a spoiler alert to tell you that the Jews hated the Romans. You remember the Pharisees were looking for a political savior who would overthrow Rome and drive Pilate and all his centurions far away. And of course, for the Romans, for their part, they couldn't stand the Jews either. The Jews were lazy. They didn't pay the taxes they were supposed to. They made life difficult. They weren't ruled easily. But if you remember what happens with Jesus, Jesus goes to two separate trials with two types of people who hate each other and they come to the same conclusion. They're united in their hatred of Jesus. And we see that in our world today, don't we? Just think of two types of people of faith. Hindus and Muslims. If you go to the border between Pakistan and India, you will see violence, you will see hatred, you will see meanness, and all sorts of difficulties and challenges. Because Hindus and Muslims do not like one another. But what they both can agree on, both in India and in Pakistan and in Africa and all over the world, is that they hate Christians. They will agree to that. It binds them together. They are all united in opposition to God and his gospel. Now, what does this look like? Well, Jesus uses a strong word to convey the seriousness and feeling of the world towards those who follow him. He wants us to clearly understand in our passage this morning, eight times he uses that word hate. You can't miss it. And if we think about what they did to Jesus, that they were willing to lie about him, they were willing to threaten him, they attacked him, it makes perfect sense. And Jesus is preparing us to be treated similarly. Often what is hardest for us is to be treated unfairly. We think we're entitled to things. We think we're entitled to equal treatment. And if you doubt what I'm saying, try this experiment at lunch. Have lunch and give one child dessert 
and do not give the other child dessert. And I guarantee, even if your child's not listening now, you will hear these words. That's not fair. It's built into us. We think we have a right to be treated fairly. But Jesus says we're not entitled to that. We shouldn't expect fairness from the world. We should not be surprised when it hates us. He says, if we follow him, we will be treated like he is. Now, you want to be like Jesus, don't you? That's the call of every Christian, to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's built into our theology. The Bible tells us over and over again that that is what we are to strive for. That is the purpose of our sanctification. So don't be surprised. The more you are being like Jesus, the more people treat you like Jesus. Jesus uses another strong word here besides hate. It's the word persecute. The word means to run after someone, to pursue someone, to drive them out. And Jesus says some very strong things in chapter 16, verse 2. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. In Jesus' day, to be put out of the synagogue was more than to be told you couldn't go to church. It meant that you were put out of society, that your family would abandon you, that you couldn't run a business because no one would be your customers, that you couldn't buy from other people because they wanted to avoid you. It was devastating. And of course, to be killed is a horrific thing to have happen. We remember that the Apostle Paul is the living embodiment of verse 2. That he thought he was serving God because he was going and attacking and breathing out fire, he said. Killing men, women, and children. Now, not all of these things are things we experience right away. Thankfully, this kind of persecution and hatred hasn't come to America yet. I have every confidence that after having preached from the Bible, that I will go home, have a good lunch, and take a wonderful nap. And the police will not break down my door. They will not seek to arrest me. They will not attack my family. That's just the case today in America. But across the world, that is not true for our brothers and sisters. They live in a time and a place where their church, the whole church, might be arrested. Where their pastor might be burnt alive. Where their Bibles might be destroyed. But just because we don't experience that doesn't mean we are exempt from this kind of hatred. This persecution is a very broad term. It involves not just killing, but speaking badly about someone, lying about someone, wishing evil upon someone. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, it is not easy to be singled out. To face opposition, to be lied about, ostracized, criticized, 
Jesus is saying, you must know that this is coming. Now, why is this the case? Jesus tells us the reasons for this hatred. Christians no longer belong to the world. Look with me at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. To be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, most fundamentally means to have been changed. Now we think about that when we say that Jesus has given us a new heart, new loves, and a new life. But that also means we have left behind the old life, the life of the world. And the world recognizes its own, Jesus says. The world has its own priorities, its own value system, its own assumptions, its own view of how life should be. But when Christians do not go along with this, hostility and hatred are the result. Just think about the way that people react when you explain to them a biblical view about family, about life, about gender, about sexuality, about money, about relationships, about marriage. The reaction of the world is revulsion. Now, it may have been 40, 50, 70 years ago, that someone would have said, well, I don't agree with that. You can't make me believe in that, but you do you and I'll do me. Today, it's not just that you're different, you're a bigot. You're hateful. You're mean. You're benighted. You don't know the truth. You're anti-science. You're anti-Muslim. You're anti-homosexual. You're anti-woman. You're anti-progress. You're anti-anti-anti. That's what it is. There's no shortage of people in the world that will do that. You don't have to go on Twitter to see that. You could be in line at the Chick-fil-A. You could be at the mall. You could be driving. When you express a biblical view that is contrary to the world, the world will hate you. It recognizes you're not a part of the world. You're different. Christians also have been chosen by Jesus, and that causes the world's hatred. Look at the second half of verse 19. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is a reminder that we are the result of grace. And the world is opposed to grace. The world wants credit. It wants to be self-sufficient. It doesn't want to depend on God. It doesn't want grace or forgiveness. And the very fact that Christians exist is an affront to the world system. It says, this system says, we don't need God. There's nothing wrong with us. We don't need forgiveness and grace. Have you ever heard someone get angry because someone believed in Jesus? Someone who's led a horrible life, maybe someone in prison, someone who's a murderer, and they profess faith in Christ, and they're actually angry that that person will escape punishment. They want what's coming to them. And of course, the assumption here is, I should get what's coming to me. But they don't understand grace. And that's why they're filled with hatred. 
Now, you should be kind and loving. But I want you to know that is not enough in life. That will not protect you from hatred. The very fact of who you are causes hatred. Now, there is no reason for you to add to that hatred by being a jerk. But you have to be aware that no matter how winsome you are, how kindly you speak, how unhypocritical you are, the world will hate you. And we know this because in verse 21, Jesus tells us this. But of all these things they will do to you on account of my name. The world hates Christians because of Jesus, because of who he is. The world's hatred is not only similar for us and Jesus, it begins, it starts because of Jesus. The world hates the message and the mission of Jesus. It is one thing to say that Jesus is good. It's another thing to say only Jesus is good. It's the exclusiveness of Jesus' claim that brings persecution and hatred. And this was true in the New Testament era as much as it is today. The Romans persecuted and hated Christians not because they said Jesus is Lord, but because they said only Jesus is Lord. And again, Jesus tells us they first hated him. So that tells us that it's not the sweetness of our speech or the timing of our actions or what we do before others because Jesus always spoke perfectly. He always spoke at the perfect time. He was never hypocritical. He was perfect. And yet he was hated. So, Today, you present Jesus, not just as one option among many. Not just as someone who has no obligation to place upon a person. Then the world won't care. But the minute you start saying, only Jesus saves. That we are sinners in need of salvation. That there is no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved. The minute you raise that. The hatred of the world comes. Well, what is the result of this hatred? Jesus tells us that this hatred will work out for our good. The first way that it works out for our good is it reminds us that we are connected to Jesus. Look with me at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus reminds us that we can't be greater than he is. That we are like him, that we are drawn to him, that we are united to him. And that's what this hatred and persecution is all about. And he also reminds us, that this hatred, this persecution will lead to more and more us looking like Jesus. Our sanctification. The more we look like Jesus, the more we will be hated. 
But for the world, it's something else. Condemnation. Jesus says that a result of his ministry and mission was to expose the world's love of darkness. You may remember in John chapter 3, we read, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And Jesus makes that same point here in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now Jesus is not saying here that if he had not come and not spoken, the whole world would have been sinless and everything would have been fine. That goes against everything Jesus has said in this gospel, everything in the Bible. That the reason Jesus came is because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were trapped in sin. We were in darkness. We needed the light. We needed to be shown the truth. What Jesus is talking about here is one particular sin that is devastating. That is to reject Jesus is to reject God. Jesus is God's final word to the world. He is a word of grace, peace, and hope. But the world rejects that word in order to continue in its rebellion against God. Do you see the progression Jesus describes here in verses 22 to 24? He says, they have rejected him and therefore they have no excuse. And then whoever hates me hates my father also. And then, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. You see, the world rejects the teachings of Jesus. And that shows their hatred of the Father. And that brings them to the point where they even reject the works of Jesus. Works that they know are true. But that they can't bring themselves to believe because of their hatred of the Father and the Son. Do you remember Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night in John 3? And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that no one can do the works that you do unless he is sent from God. I don't think Nicodemus was speaking in the royal plural there. I think he's saying, we've been talking about this, the Pharisees, and... We see what you're doing. We, we don't agree with you. We won't follow you. But we see what you're doing. You know, have you ever noticed in the Gospel of John that the Pharisees never stand up and say, Oh, no, that man wasn't lame. He was just sitting there for 20 years. Jesus didn't do any miracle. Oh, that guy, he was not blind. Or he can't see now. How many fingers am I holding up? No one says, you know, Lazarus didn't really die. They're not trying to disprove Jesus' works, but they will not believe the works because they hate Jesus and they hate the Father. But this does not mean that the world is in control. God is not helpless before a watching world because Jesus tells us this is exactly what the Father knew would happen. Look at verse 25. But, but the word that was written... In their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. This is a quotation 
likely primarily from Psalm 69. It's also a, a quote from another psalm. And what we see here is that the world is fulfilling what God has ordained. God has predicted this, that they would hate Jesus, his son, without a cause. Now, this is not that the Father desires the world to reject Jesus or Christians. But the Father knows the result of sin. He's not surprised by the rebellious actions of rebels. So what does that mean for us? It means that we can have hope and confidence in the midst of opposition. Hatred of Christians is not sociological. It's not a result of the way we speak or the things we emphasize. Hatred of Christians is theological. The world does not belong to Jesus and it does not want to. So we should not despair. We should not give up, but we should have our eyes open. That brings us to our third thing, the response to opposition. So why do I say that we should not despair? What should be our response to this opposition? On the one hand, we might be tempted to give up on the whole world. You know how that goes. If that's how you want to be, fine with you. I'm done with you. But we have to remember, the Bible tells us, such were some of you. You see, we were rebels against God. We were plucked out of the world by Jesus. And so Jesus gives us hope and a purpose in the face of hatred. We do not stand alone. Because after all, isn't that one of the most frightening things? To think that we're all by ourselves. But it's not just that we have other Christians, other friends around us, although we do. Jesus tells us that he is sending the Helper who comes from him and the Father, in verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so the Holy Spirit guides us in how we are to respond to hatred. The Spirit bears witness about Jesus. Now notice what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say that the Spirit will come and destroy the world's arguments. That the Helper will come and you will own the world. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying the Spirit testifies in the world about Jesus. And notice that He is the Spirit of truth. That is, He will expose lies Lies about God, lies about Jesus, lies about what it means to follow Jesus. Do you sometimes wonder about the state of the church? Wonder whether you can make a difference in the world? Wonder what will happen in our country with all of the lies and the hatred? Jesus is telling you that God is in control. That the Holy Spirit is here. Not just in this room, but across our country and throughout the world. And he is bearing witness about Jesus. 
And people are coming to know Jesus. And the world system that hates you and hates Jesus has no chance of victory. And there is a second great witness for Jesus. It may surprise you. It's you. Remember that the Spirit is the helper. That He's the one who comes alongside, who encourages, who advocates. Well, whom is He helping? You! His witness is linked to your witness. Now, remember that the Spirit is given by Jesus to dwell with you. And your witness is possible and effective, not in your own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. So often when we think about our witness, we think of some formal testimony, of some way to maneuver a conversation to the Bible. You know, things like, wow, it's really bright outside today. Do you know who the light of the world is? Let me take you to this chapter in John. Or, oh, I missed that reminder in my calendar. Do you know what missing the mark is? Missing the mark is sin. And let me tell you about sin and God's plan for sin. Right? Sort of a sharp left-hand turn that someone's not expecting. No, our witness is to testify that we have been with Jesus. It's the way we live, the way we speak, the way we think. It's actually all the things we talked about before when we said we're not like the world. It could be big things, but it could also be little things. When you love someone, it's hard not to talk about them. You are excited. You want others to know about them. You want them to know what they mean to you. Just ask me about my wife or my kids. Or I just dare you to ask me about my granddaughter, Lily. If I happen to have my phone with me, you're good for five minutes of pictures right there. Right? There's nothing stopping me. There's nothing actually starting me from talking about the things that I love. They're a part of who I am. That's the witness that we bear for Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that they should expect to be hated by the world. He told them not so that they would give up and be discouraged. He told them so that they would remember and be ready when that hour came, as he says in verse 4. Jesus is telling you the same thing today. Don't be afraid. God is in control. The Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to be a witness for Jesus and to enable you to be a witness. What you need to be asking yourself today is this question. Am I worth persecuting? Do people know that I follow Jesus? And do you know that persecution follows from belonging to Jesus? Doesn't that make persecution worth it? To know that you belong to Jesus? Finally, are you ready to be a witness for Jesus? Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
Jesus is telling you that the greatest danger that you face is not hatred. It's not persecution. It's not even death. It's falling away. That's what you have to be on the lookout for. Stay close to Jesus. Because no matter what happens, there is the safest place to be.